0: The following audio is from Life Point Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about Life Point Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. If you've got Bibles, let's go ahead and grab those, open them up to Acts chapter 20. If you're new here, let me welcome you. Uh, My name's Eric, I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and we've been going through uh, the book of Acts, this is week number uh, 22, so I hope you're ready for that. If you need to catch up, uh, you can get all of those uh, messages online. I'm super excited for today, but I want to simply start by reminding you something uh, that I tell you uh, usually at the end of the service every week, but I want to start with this today, is that I love you. And the, and the reason why I, I tell you that is because God ultimately loves you. Some of you say, well, Eric, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know me very well. Uh, I Honestly, I love some of you more than others, okay? Uh, but uh, you don't know me very well. But I know that Christ loves you. And so as I understand Christ's view of you and his love for you, I can ultimately say with confidence that I genuinely love you and want the best for you, but I never want to pander with you. And what I mean by that is I I don't want to simply stand up here and just simply tell you things that I think you want to hear, tell you things that maybe would make you like my preaching or like this church or uh, like the style or, 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 or even like me. Jesus doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do that. And so I feel like the Lord wants me not to do that. But instead rather would tell you things that would be truthful, helpful. Paul says, "I, I, I didn't I didn't shrink back from telling you what was profitable. And so what happens is when all of these crowds start to gather around Jesus, he doesn't just simply say things that make them feel good, he tells them hard things. How many of you know there's hard things in the Bible? In Luke chapter 14, it says great crowds accompanied Jesus And he turned to them. Verse 27. Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Explain. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Do you look at price tags when you go shopping? Because the most horrible thing would be for you to pick up that item and get to the checkout line and remind yourself that you don't have enough. Jesus says, which one of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king was going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is still yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce everyone say renounce any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple he goes on salt is good but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored It is of no use, everyone say no use. Says it, it's worthless. It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's actually thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. It's amazing that last week we talked about idols we talked about that thing that we hold so dear to us that we say, God, okay, you can have anything you want, just don't, just don't touch this, don't, don't work on this, this is so close to me, I'll do what you want, I'll go where you want, just, just this is my thing. And it could be a good thing. But when we take that good thing and we elevate it as a God thing, it becomes an idol and it rules over us and it doesn't set us free, we actually, it demands from us. And so today, Paul's going to talk to us about what we do in life, who we follow. Have we counted the cost in life when it comes to following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus? Jesus, it says, you need to renounce if you're going to be my disciple. In Acts chapter 20, Paul spent three years in Ephesus He's teaching that Jesus is the way and the church is being built up and he has a very successful ministry, so much so that according to Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's a pretty successful ministry, wouldn't you say? But now he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm gonna hurry back so I can make it for the day of Pentecost. But before he leaves, he calls for the elders of the church. He says, I've been with you for several years. I wanna talk to you before I go. So he calls the elders, and he gives these final words of encouragement. And let me tell you something, friends. They're very, very moving. So much so that the chapter ends with Verse 36, it says, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So these are the last words that Paul Gives to the church there at Ephesus through the leadership or the elders of the church. I want you to imagine a father addressing his family, knowing that this may be the last moment that he can speak into their lives. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the moment that if you had one last breath to speak into the lives of those that you love, what would you say? How many of you know, if that was the case, I would listen up. I would make sure that I pay close attention. So listen, I, I, I feel that weight. Each and every time I, I come into the pulpit, I, I feel that way, not because I, I plan on going anywhere, but none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, amen? And, and knowing that this may be the last time that some of you may hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to faith, to Jesus Christ, I take that seriously. I understand that this may be the last situation that you find yourselves opening the Bible and and so this is where Paul really finds himself and and so he he says listen pay attention because I'm about to share with you uh, some some understanding on how to live a Christian life and you're not going to see me anymore This is a very personal word from Paul. It is filled with the deepest convictions and what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And and I will admit that every time I read Acts chapter 20, uh, it, it stirs something in me. This, this understanding of uh, I want to renounce everything, I want to uh, follow Jesus, and, and these radical words of Paul, they, honestly, they, they give me chills, and they should give us chills, and should give us uh, the sense of admiration and longing to say, oh God, how am I living my life? What am I doing with my time? They make me want to forsake the meaningless pursuit of comfort and self and abandon everything for the cause of Christ, no matter what. Everyone say, no matter what. Jesus says, this is the cost. Would you be willing, no matter what? Would you be willing to renounce all, no matter what? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever stood before the throne of God, seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, read the word of God, and have it move on you so passionately that you would say, okay, God, no matter what? You ever said that to God? Well, in Acts chapter 20, we're gonna pick it up in verse 17. Paul talks about his life. In verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink. Everyone say shrink. I, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Even the hard stuff. And the teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance. Say repentance. Repentance toward God and faith. Say faith. So repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't shrink back from telling you the truth. I didn't shy away from the hard things. I actually publicly proclaimed them to you. I came to your house and proclaimed to you. What were the hard things? Repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning Paul knows that every single person that ever would ever hear him speak has a great need. And the greatest need is to be forgiven by God. And forgiveness comes as a two part declaration. Repentance And faith in Jesus Christ. That's the two parts of forgiveness. We've all fallen short. The righteousness standard, the holy expectation of God, this is called sin. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all walked away of God. We've all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We've all turned our backs on God. Paul knows it. Jesus knows it. We know it. Meaning that both by nature and choice, we've all sinned, we all deserve death, therefore we all need to repent. That's the first part. Admitting that we've turned away from God and we've turned to sin, and repentance is admitting that we've done that, and repentance is also turning back to God. That's what constitutes repentance. And so because of our sinfulness, we can't fix our own problem, and if God is going to forgive sins, Just outright, without justice, it would make God unrighteous. So there has to be a price. There has to be something that was paid. There has to be a ransom. There has to be a a way that the wrath of God towards sin would be poured out, but not on us, because then we would be doomed. We need someone who's righteous. We need a holy one. We need someone to come in our place who's never sinned, someone who would come in the middle of our sinfulness, someone who doesn't deserve to die, but be willing to die in our place for our sin, absorbing the wrath of God. That would be called justice, And so we need a mediator. We need a redeemer. We need a substitute. We need a savior. So it's not just repentance, but it's faith in a savior that took our place. Behold, Jesus Christ. John said he is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When faith in Jesus and repentance of sin collide in our hearts, what we find is forgiveness by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason why it's so important that we don't shrink back from proclaiming both repentance and faith in Jesus is because if you remove either component, you remove the perfection of God you remove the holiness of God, it undermines the glory of God, thereby removing the forgiveness we need altogether. If we remove faith in Jesus or repentance from sins, then we'll begin to say, you know what? Healing, wholeness, righteousness, we don't need to measure ourselves by God's standards or God's expectations. Instead, we disregard the righteousness of God and we disregard the Word of God and we simply just be ourselves. Do whatever we want to do and make yourself the measure of what is good and is acceptable. You give yourself and your thoughts and and yourself the authority to determine whatever is righteous. And then the role that God plays in all of this, of my worship of self and my authority that I've given myself, is God becomes my divine endorsement of my own self-affirmation. God exists to applaud me and believe in me. God then functions as this booster for our absoluteness of self. And if God would somehow proclaim the truth that he is the one who's holy, that his standards are the ones that are righteous, if he does that, then God is then a part of the problem, not part of the solution. So to remove repentance is to remove sin, which is to remove God's holiness and righteous requirement. To remove faith in Jesus is to make yourself holy and yourself worthy of worship. It undermines God's grace and forgiveness, and it destroys forgiveness. And the main thing that is so profitable is faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from sins. Because if there's no holy standard to offend, or, or if there's no righteous expectation to violate, or, or, or if there's no commandment to disobey, then there is no need for a savior, because there's no need for forgiveness because I'm awesome. And so Paul says, I have not, in all of my time with you, not neglected or shrunk back from declaring to you, to people, what they desperately need. That God, in his amazing grace, would be ready to give Forgiveness through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We've all offended a holy God. We've all violated the righteousness of God. We've all disobeyed God. And if we remove faith and we remove repentance, then we remove the good news of the gospel and we start to create our own salvation without God, without a righteousness, without forgiveness, and therefore we are utterly without But the only hope for mankind, the only thing that's profitable is that God might find a way in his holiness and in his justice and in his righteousness to forgive us and that's when Jesus comes and dies. The most profitable news is not to shrink back from faith and repentance because where those two collide, there's forgiveness. That's what Paul said he did every moment he was with them. Now he goes on, verse 22. But now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Before I I told everyone, faith and repentance, trust Jesus, repent of sin, but now I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and I'm constrained by the Spirit. Everyone say constrained. That means bound, tied to. I am constrained, I am wrapped up by the Spirit. He says, now I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor precious to myself. My life, no value. Anything I have, it's not precious to myself. But if only I may finish my life. Course, everyone say course. My race, I have a path, I have a course. And the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus, what is that path? To testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He says, I don't count my life of any value. I don't count anything precious to myself except for one thing. There is one thing I value, and one thing that I find precious, and one thing that is most meaningful is I've been given by Jesus Christ a race to run and a ministry to perform. That's what my life is about. A race to run and a ministry to perform. Every ministry and every race can be summed up in this way, to testify to the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. That's my race. That's my ministry. That's everything. Your life, my life, is like a race that we're running. Do you believe that? And there is one race course and there is one path which we are to run. Paul says this is why I live. This is why I breathe. This is why I do what I do. This is what my life means, to testify. To live is to minister. To finish the course is to fulfill the ministry. Let me ask you. Does that define your life? Let me ask it another way. Are you being faithful or wasteful with your life? Every true believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, has been given a course to run and has been given a ministry to perform and it's been given to you by Jesus himself. Are you faithful or wasteful? Let me tell you what breaks my heart. What breaks my heart is that so many Christians would rather play dress-up and pretend that we are princes and princesses on Sunday morning and then our king, believing that one day we will get to share in his kingdom, not realizing that the king himself says whoever would save his life would actually lose it, and whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will actually find it. Not realizing that the scripture tells us what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? So many do not live a life with an aim to be faithful. We don't aim our thoughts, our directions, our paths, to be faithful to the course that Christ has given us. Most people just want to be liked. Most people just want to be admired. Most people just want to be comfortable. And so many could care less about if their life counts for eternity or not. Are you faithful or wasteful? How do I know? How do I know if my course that I'm living is a life of faithfulness? Would you want to (laughs) know? Or would you want to be deceived? Would you want to know the truth? How do I know if my course is faithfulness? Well, let's look at the text. There'll be three questions that I'll pull from the text and then a conclusion, verse 22. Paul says, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained, literally bound by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Question one, are you mastered by the Spirit of God? Are you mastered, bound, constrained by the Spirit of God? Living a faithful life is not defined by becoming a master of many, but being mastered by one, that is the Holy Spirit of God. A faithful life is about being mastered by one, not becoming our own master, But being bound by the Spirit, being mastered by the Holy Spirit is life. It's how you and I, we got started in this race to begin with. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive. Born again. In Christ Jesus. Let me show you this. In Romans 8. Best chapter in the entire Bible. Romans 8. Verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, on the cross, on the tree, dying for sin. He condemns sin in his body, in his flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the. That's our course. To walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. It's like you're bound to it. The Spirit, it, it controls, it, it, it binds me to his thoughts. Verse, verse 9, it says, you, however, this is good news, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, everyone say if. Mm. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Verse 13, 4th. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Hear me. Unless we are mastered, constrained, and bound by the Holy Spirit, unless that happens, we will run our race instead of God's race. We will live our lives according to our desires and seek our self-opportunities and we will have our minds fixed on the fleeting desires of this world. Not only by the Spirit of Christ will we be born again, but we will be given new minds new desires, new course, new life given to us, new ministry to testify to the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Only by the Spirit can we live a faithful life that makes a difference for eternity. You can make a difference in a moment, but not for eternity apart from the Spirit. And our flesh, can we be honest, our flesh and our world, it tells us, take the shortcut. Don't stay on that course. Take, take the shortcut. Avoid the hard things. Shrink back. Pursue comfort, retire early, store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't rock the boat. Don't shrink back. Keep quiet about the gospel. Go to church. That's fine. Volunteer if you want. Help people. Try to make the world a better place. You don't need the Holy Spirit for any of those things. They actually make you feel good. What a waste. What a waste. Are you saying, Eric, are you saying that it's a waste to help people? No. But would you consider making people more comfortable on their way to hell valuable? Helpful? Meaningful? If you walk into a hospital and hundreds and hundreds of people are dying of a virus and you have the antibiotic, but instead you give them a pie? Apple? Mmm. Maybe a blanket? I'm not saying those things aren't helpful in a moment. But they are not valuable for eternity. How do I know if I'm faithful or wasteful? Are you bound by the Spirit? The evidence that you are running the race that God has set before you is a mind that is set on the Spirit. And God's Spirit, when he has a hold of you, you testify to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you don't shrink back? Speaking of repentance and faith in our Lord, so the first question is are you bound by that spirit? And the second question is are you testifying to the gospel of grace not knowing what tomorrow brings? How many of you like to know what's happening tomorrow? Your calendars are full. You live by them. You don't strain away from them. Verse 22, I behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm bound by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Not knowing what will happen next. Bound by the Spirit, no matter what I'm going. No matter what. Every course that God appoints for His children to run disappears over the hill called the unknown. Do you know that? If you're following the course that Christ has put before you, there's the thing right there. It's called the unknown. Every ministry that's given to the children of God takes a turn around the corner called the unknown. The unknown, therefore, the unwasted faithful life is always lived one step from the unknown. That's what faith is for. You live by faith, not by sight, that's right, not by the known. Hebrews 11.8, Abraham was a man who lived by faith. It says that he went out not knowing where he was going. That's what faith does. It trusts. It trusts despite the unknown, trusting what we do not see. On the course of faithful life, you don't know what's coming, and listen to me, you never will. But you do know that Jesus will be with you. That's the confidence. He says, I'll be with you. The spirit of Christ dwells in you. You'll never be alone. This way of living for Jesus is so radical. It's so countercultural that people should look at the lives of Christians who have forsaked everything, who have counted the cost, who are following Jesus, and people would look at your life and look at you and say, That's crazy. Look at the person next to you and say, That's crazy. Okay, has anyone ever looked at your walk with Christ and said, that's crazy? After getting married, I had two small kids, and the Lord placed upon a course within me to quit my job and to pursue a God-given course toward church planting. No people, no money, no building, running bound by the Spirit into the unknown in order to testify to the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And do you know what people said? That's crazy. Noble, honorable, but crazy. That's crazy. I'd rather suffer and be faithful with my life than comfortable and wasteful with my life. From there, a couple years in, God raised up John and Alicia Looney some of you know them they received a course from the Lord Jesus to move their family to Honduras to live in poverty helping kids with special needs and their families and leading them to testify to the gospel of grace of God in Jesus Christ they were bound by the spirit walking into the unknown and do you know what people said that's crazy Honorable, we would all say that. Oh, that's honorable. Mmm, bless you. But people say, that's crazy. Rather live and suffer the faithful life and the call and the course that Jesus has given than to be comfortable and wasteful with life. A couple years ago, We sent out another couple, this couple came our very first service when we planted the church. They gave their life to Jesus Christ, they heard the message of faith and repentance. They gave their life to Jesus and from that moment they began to grow and two years ago, we sent out Ken and Janie Cassiano, some of you know them. They were called by God for a course across the country To the most idolatrous, the most wicked, the most demonic ruled state in the country, California. To plant a church. To testify to people of the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Running bound by the Spirit into the unknown. How's it going to work? I don't know. But I know God's got this course for me. I need to tell people. I need to testify to the gospel. And do you know what people say? That's crazy, totally honorable, but crazy, yes, it is crazy, and absolutely glorious, so moving, that the Holy Spirit would be bound to their hearts in such a way that people would look at their lives and say, that's crazy, oh, but it's worth every moment because I do not count my life of any value or precious to myself only that I would run this course. It's absolutely glorious to live a faithful life. It's more glorious than to be comfortable and live a wasteful life. Jesus is not seeking, church-going, pew-sitting, kumbaya-singing, life-wasters. Which is why he tells the crowd, bear your cross. Let me ask you, does bearing your cross sound like comfort or suffering? Jesus says, count the cost, renounce all that you have. If you're not willing to do that, and say you're a Christian, you're like salt that's lost its taste. You ever wonder why he talks about salt right after that? You're not willing to renounce all that you have. you're not willing to count the cross. If you're not willing to, to count your life as not valuable compared to the surpassing worth of running the course then you can call yourself a Christian, but you're like salt that's lost its taste and tasteless salt is worthless. He says it's of no use. It actually ruins manure. Take your life, put it on a pile of crap, you just ruined it. You can totally waste your life by going to church. Just like you can waste your life by just going to the lake. And that's a bad thing. I I fish. You can waste your life in church the same way you can waste your life on a Beach somewhere, going here, doing this or that, and never testifying to the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. You may say, Well, I mean, I like raising my family in church. Raising my family in church is better than raising my family in the bar right? Jesus would call both the drunk and the deacon to repentance, to trust him, to stop wasting their life and follow him, count the cost, testify to the gospel of grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, now that I think about it, it would actually be better for you to go to the bar and testify to the gospel of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ than for you to waste your life sitting in church and saying nothing. Are you renouncing all, following Jesus, testifying to the gospel, not knowing what tomorrow will bring? Well, I don't know how it's gonna work. None of us do. But he's with you. Question three Are you faithful? To not stop running even when the course leads through suffering. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't know what waits for me there, but the Holy Spirit has told me this for sure. Look at verse 23. He says that he does not know what will happen except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city I get imprisonment and afflictions. Woohoo! So it's not just that our course disappears over the hill of the unknown, but the Christian course of faithfulness is designed by God to lead through pain. It's going to be painful, y'all. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And your favorite verse, 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. You got a coffee cup with that verse on it? You need to make some t-shirts. They'll sell out quick. The course of the faithful life always leads through suffering. Well, I mean, can't we be comfortable and a Christian, well, you can call yourself a Christian and you can pretend to be a Christian, but Jesus says you can't be my disciple. Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain, I count all things as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It will mean not only that you'll be faithful in the unknown, but you'll also be faithful with a certainty that some of your tomorrows are gonna be painful. How many of you like that? Faithfulness says it's better to live a faithful life through suffering than a wasteful life through comfort, being faithful to the course that Christ has called me into. This Possessing spirit filled courage is not going to stop me from running, even when the course leads through suffering. Okay, here's my conclusion. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Okay, hear me. We do not all have the same ministry. We do not all have the same course. We do not all have the same gift That's given to us by the Spirit. But we do all have the same goal to testify. To magnify, to glorify the greatness of the gospel, of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. This is the course that every Christian is running. And the turns and the terrains and the outlook is different, but the aim is always the same. Helping people trust and treasure Jesus for life Understands that we first have to trust and treasure Jesus for life. Ephesians 1, it says, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, which means he saved you, not because you did anything, but because he's graceful, he's merciful, he's forgiving, he's God, and he adopted us to himself according to the purpose of his will. Everyone say his will. So his will is to the praise of the glory of his grace. Do you testify with your life? That's the ultimate meaning of life. That's the ultimate meaning of the course, to live to testify to the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is what it means to live an unwasted, faithful life. A wasted life is a life that forsakes that course and lives for another reason. A wasteful life is a life that leaves the course that testifies to Jesus Christ and instead replaces that course with the course called the American Dream. Paul says, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Well, Paul, if you go there, they're going to kill you. I'm going to Jerusalem. But, but Paul, you're getting so old. How about. Go, you get a little condo down by the sea. Don't go to Jerusalem. Go, go relax for a while. You've already done more in your ministry than, than most people do in five lifetimes. Don't you think, oh, Paul, it's time to rest? Let your last years be your best years. Full of travel, see the sights. Spend, enjoy. Fish, play golf, shuffleboard, the all inclusive, the all you can eat, go there. Do that for a while. Let Timothy have a chance, he's young. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Rome, not at your age. You get yourself killed. It's not the American dream. That's crazy. Would you ever do that? Media is spending billions of dollars a year to making wasting your life look so appealing. how great would it be, sunrises and walks, waves and birds? Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem because it's better to be faithful with my life than to waste it. Verse 20 and 27 both say that he did not shrink back from declaring the whole gospel of God. Verse 33, he says, I never wanted money, things. I gave. It's better to give than to receive. That's what I did. I'd rather die than be unfaithful to the ministry. I'd rather die than, than get off course of what Jesus has called me to do. And we look at that way of thinking and say, man, Paul, what a savage. Talking to my buddy Adam at Starbucks and we we're having a coffee and I was reading this passage to him. I was super excited to preach it. I said, listen to this. And he says, Paul's a Savage. That dude is a savage. Can we agree on that? Paul's a savage. But listen, how come we're not? We have a different spirit? You serve a different God? Oh, no. How come, how come we're not more salty? Why don't we long? to be faithful to Jesus and the course that he's called us more than you want to be alive. More than we want to have health or family or retirement or whatever it might be. Maybe because we think that we can count the cost but not renounce all that we have and somehow still be a disciple. It's impossible to run the course of a disciple of Jesus and run toward the American dream, I'm telling you right now. To be a disciple is to be a savage for Christ by renouncing all that you have, including the American dream, where people will look at you and say, that's crazy. It's better to lose your life for Christ than to waste it, because when you lose it, you actually gain it. Paul speaks of finishing this course in one other place, 2 Timothy 4. It says this. I want you to listen very closely to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but rather having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. my passion to be on a boat on the course somewhere i just am comfortable accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths as for you timothy always be sober minded Be bound to the Spirit. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Tell people about Jesus. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. Every one who finishes the faith-filled life, whether that be at 22, 82, or 102 wins a crown of righteousness that will be placed on your head by the king of kings and an unwasted, faithful life is a life that renounces all, is bound by the spirit to testify to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. And when you stand before Jesus, and listen, we will all stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives. I will tell you this, I can assure you without a doubt, no one will stand before Jesus in that moment and say to him, I wish I told less people about you. Many in that moment, however, will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ And immediately realize, I wasted my life. You really are more precious than anything else. I pray that many of you here at this church will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You did not shrink back. You did not count your life of any value but you told the world about faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. I plead with you this morning, as Paul pleads with the church in Ephesus, don't waste your life. Run, live, testify to Jesus. It's the only thing that matters. And listen, where you and I have fallen short and we have all fallen short, God is ready to forgive you and bind you to his spirit and guide you and change you and empower you into the course in which he's called you to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, God, may we never be a people that take your word and discredit it. And let us never hear the voice of the Spirit and turn from it. Oh God, today, I ask that you would send your spirit upon us. You would reveal to us our great need for repentance. And that you would show us the great grace that is found in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, today would you make us born again? a new creation. Would you make us a people of your very own, eager to testify, eager to tell the world, eager to go where you tell us to go and do what you tell us to do? Would you give us eyes to see the eternal weight of that? Would you give us hearts to feel The truth of that. That God, right now you are preparing hearts, you are preparing our hearts. Lord, you make us a people be willing to renounce all so that we would follow you into the unknown through suffering. Lord, through us, I'm asking that you would shine. That we would testify that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and let our lives be a boast to the craziness that is following you for all eternity. Oh Jesus, I pray that our life would point to you everywhere in every way. For that, oh God, we need your spirit. So fall, oh Lord. Come, oh Lord, and bring us by your grace in Jesus name amen if you're here today and you've you've never given your life to Jesus Christ today's your day right where you sit right where you are no matter where you've come from or what you're going through his grace is sufficient for He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he even calls you unto himself. And right now, I believe that the Spirit is actually bringing to your heart right now repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. You can pray a prayer right where you sit of asking God to forgive you, to cleanse you, to lead you, and to be your Lord and Savior and the promises that he will meet you right there you have other things that are going on in your life you need prayer for, we have prayer partners in the back. We'd love to pray with you and for you. But this is the time right now of our service that we don't forsake a moment to draw near to God and ask him about the course that we are running. I love you guys.